If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of John, chapter 6. We're going to finish chapter 6 today, Lord willing. Chapter 6, I don't know, the book of John completely surprises me. Again, John just strikes me as such a sweet person. And I have so many times a new Christian said, start reading in John. If you want to start reading, start reading in John. But John has nuclear bombs all over the place, big things. And it's, it's sweet, but, it's, uh, but it will trap you. And there are speeches in John that you do not see in the other Gospels. So there are just a few miracles. He's only picked just a few miracles, but he, he has picked these long extended speeches of Jesus that are not found anywhere else. And they're truly amazing. Jesus has just preached to a huge crowd of people and not one person got saved, not even one. Every single person that he started with, every person that came to him left him and a whole group of people that had already been following him leaves him. So he has left at the end of this chapter, with a starts with a huge crowd coming to him, listening, interrupting a sermon that he's preaching. And not only do, the, do his enemies leave, but many of the people that are following him leave. And he's left at the end of the chapter just with his 12 disciples. So this is a... This is a passage that is just, you almost have to read it again because you're just not sure what you've read. And he has just said some of the hardest things in the New Testament, without any doubt, most disturbing imagery that you could imagine that this would be out of the mouth of Jesus. That it's necessary that you, if you have any part of me, you must drink the blood of the Son of Man and eat his flesh. And people just did not know what to think. And you're going to have a whole group of people leave him. So this is starting in verse 6. Uh, we're in chapter 6, verse 60. And we're going to read down to verse 71. This is God's eternal word. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, does this offend you? What? And if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before. It's the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I to you that no man comes to me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have I not chosen you, twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, 
for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Do you see what I mean? There's a darkness over this. There's a shadow or a shadow over the cloud over the sun here. You see, Jesus' ministry was going great, absolutely great. He was healing people, and he had scads of people following him day after day, all day long, to where the disciples couldn't even eat. You couldn't even, he couldn't even teach them. He had to get on a boat because the crowd was t- on the shore was so full that it was forcing him right to the, to the water. He, he did nothing but show kindness to people, and people followed him in droves. But when he preaches... He preaches like none other that's ever preached. And people are marveling at his words, but they do not want his message. They marvel at how he speaks because he speaks so simply that everybody can understand. He's not not like the people who are so full of themselves, who use the the 25-cent words. He speaks very commonly, but he speaks with such a punch that they know that he has authority. But yet they don't want to do what he says. It's truly amazing when you think, who could preach the word like the one who wrote the word? And who could preach with the Holy Spirit working than Jesus, who and the Holy Spirit are one and and completely unified in all ways? It's not like a feeble person getting up and stammering and stuttering and trying to do their best to explain what the Bible means when they're on their knees asking God what it means. Jesus wrote this word. He knew exactly what it meant, and he spoke with full conviction and power, and the power of God speaking to his creatures, but yet no one was interested. It's remarkable because my question is why. Why wouldn't Jesus have been the greatest evangelist of all time? Why wouldn't there be everybody in the world? Why wouldn't there have been a million people? I don't know how many people lived at that time. How how many people could have come to God if God were the one that was personally inviting them to himself? Well, that's exactly what's happening here. God is inviting us to himself here, the same God. And Jesus Christ, who is God, was speaking to these people. And they wanted to make him Messiah. They thought he was the Messiah. They, they understood him to be the one they were waiting for. But he, was, he had something that they did not want. Because the gospel is offensive. And not only were these people offended, when they, they had already decided in their hearts that they were not going to believe what Jesus was saying, they were fine with using him. But when Jesus was talking about something else... They were like, okay, this, this is not the guy. We'll look for someone else. But even the people who had been following him decided, uh, I'm not sure this is for us. This is a little too feely. This is a little too touchy. This is a little too close to home. I'm not sure this is for me. I'm okay when you're healing me. I'm okay when you're giving me the world when you're providing my needs, I'm okay with that. I like Jesus who gives me things. I like Jesus who gives me health and wealth. But a Jesus who says hard things, I'm not sure that I can handle it. So let's look. Because if these of his enemies that he's speaking to, as they interrupted his sermon in Capernaum, 
And he's speaking to the people he's preaching to. He's preaching to the people that came to the synagogue. He's preaching to the disciples that followed him into the building. He's preaching to his 12 and to his 70 and to his hundreds or whatever it was. And he's, he's preaching to these people who came and wanted him to make manna every day, every day, every day, so that they could be sure that he was the one that they could follow in a military uprising. So what is it? That he was claiming because it offended them and it offends people today it absolutely offends people today so verse 60 says many when they heard this many uh, of his disciples said this is a hard saying who can hear it and when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it he said does this offend you so the word the word here, hard, is a word that we know some words that's very similar. So the word is scleros, and it's the same like the sclera of your eye is your white of your eye. It's the part of your eye that doesn't let light in. So the light comes in through your, through your clear cornea, but the white part of your eye, the, white, the, the one that gets pink eye, doesn't let light in at all. It blocks that light, and it's the word hard. That's that hard part of the eye that light can't get through. And if you've ever heard of atherosclerosis, where, you're, where you've got plaque building up, and it, it's like a, a cement on the inside of your arteries, so, so tight that your blood can't get through. So this idea of hardening is not that I don't understand it. This idea of hardening is, a, is way scarier. Because these, this was things that Jesus was saying that people couldn't handle. They were not willing to handle it. They were okay when Jesus is presented to children. In fact, I, I've had people absolutely to my face say Jesus is for children. Uh, you can come and get the kids if you want to and take them to church because church is for children. As though somehow it was just a, you know, like a Christmas party. The idea that as long as nothing is expected of me, if you don't present the gospel to where it's offensive, if it's only about giving people things and being nice to people and God loves you, then people are fine with that much, to that amount. But if it ever gets to where you are responsible unto your maker, that's too much. People are scared of it, and it's not, it's not scary only. It's you'll set, up your, you'll set up your defenses against it. You will not want it. You will set yourself up like, you know, against a tsunami, and you'll just stand there and let the tsunami hit you. People will, to their deathbed, stand with their spine straight against a God who will destroy them, and they know it, but they will not bow to these things. It's too hard. They're a hard saying. So it's not that they couldn't understand. It's that they could understand, and there's the sad part. They understood what he said. They didn't think he was talking about a vampire. They didn't think he was talking about a cannibal. They knew what he was talking about. People are not morons. People, when they hear, understand what is being said to them. What he was claiming was way more than they were willing to do. And as long as Jesus is making breakfast for everyone, that's fine. But don't go any further. And there are people in this town that want that much, but they don't want to go further. If you want to buy them a couch... They'll let you. If you want them to pay your phone bill, they'll let you. But they do not want to repent of their sins 
and they do not want to bow their knee to their maker. And the, the stiffness of their heart will only get stiffer. It's a sclera. It's a hardening. It's not just hard. It's a hardening. As you think of those hard things, you have to realize that, that Jesus looked at him and said, does this offend you? Are you offended by this? Meaning, are you, do you come against it and it's something that you can't get over? Remember, the, remember Jesus himself was the scandal on. He was the stumbling stone, the, stomach, the stone of offense. And the, the prophet said, if, you, if you, you will have to deal with this rock. I'm going to put a rock, a stumbling rock in Zion. And every one of my people are going to have to deal with him. You will either trip over him and he will offend you or you will be crushed by him. And when Jesus was talking about himself in that response, he said, if it falls on you, it will grind you to powder. You will either trip over it or you will be ground by it. And so it is true that there is not a being in the universe anywhere close to God. God is kindness. I was marveling yesterday. I was just sitting, looking out the window, and my thoughts simply went, God, how can you be so powerful and so kind that, that the extent of power beyond my ability to understand power you have complete and total ability, power. You do as you please, but there's nothing in you that's not kind. Like, why? Why does that have to be true? It simply is true. The God who made this universe is the kindest being in the universe. But that kindness does not stop him from being God Almighty. And there will be a rock that you will either stumble over or will crush you to powder. And when he's talking to these people... He asked them, does this offend you? That's the same word. Are you offended? Are you stumbling over this? Is this the scandal on? And you hear the word scandal there. Is this the scandal on? Are you offended? Are you stumbling at the stumbling stone? Well, in some ways, that is hallelujah awesome. When people have come to me the few times in my life and said that they're troubled about their soul, they're troubled. They're not sleeping well. They're troubled. I break out into the broadest grin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're troubled of your soul. What a wonderful thing. Could there be anything better than that? You're, you're approaching the scandal on. You're approaching the rock that's in your path. And yes, you'll be offended by it. And yes, God will say things that you do not like. And yes, his theology will crack on, against the front of your forehead and you will not like it. You want it to be different. But it's, it's the matter that you deal with Jesus as your superior, as your authority. And you come to his word as your authority. Like, I'm bound by this. When, when I know what it's saying, I am bound to it. I cannot, I cannot put myself and say, I'll take what I choose to take. I'll, what I enjoy and what I like and what I, what I love petting, I'll take that as mine. And I reject the rest. You, you can't. Because these people left because they did understand what he was saying. 
They didn't leave because he was so hard and not clear and not understanding. There are people who do not believe the Bible is clear enough to even know what it's saying. That because we don't know what it's saying and can't know what it's saying, we have no obligation to it. That doesn't make any sense. God who made you made this, and it can be understood. Not everything is, is on the bottom shelf, but everything can be grasped at. And even when there are things that you do not understand, God is kind. God is kind. He does not thrash you. As I am not obeying him in this, this, and this, and this, and this in my life, he simply puts his finger on one thing at a time, and he deals with me in love, in kindness, in sweetness. I feel, I feel like I want to go to him. I don't feel that I'm afraid of him. The terror that Melissa spoke of from Psalm 73, the terror that will strike the people that I think of as doing fine. But then I understood. I went to the house of God. Then I understood their end. By understanding the house of God, you're looking at God. When you look at God and you realize that all things are from him, to him, through him, and that he involves us in mercy, that is, that is truly an amazing thing. So what is offensive? What is some of the things that were offensive that he said that are offensive to me, offensive to other Christians, offensive to people who don't know God and, and refuse to come to him because they're offended by him? Okay, I have had, I, I've been in youth ministries, I don't know, 35 years. I have heard so many youth sermons that were so worthless. Because you're, you've got wicked kids that you want to entertain, so that's what the pizza is for, and that's what the games are for, and that's what all that is. So you want to you get them so that they're all together. And in your attempt to get them all together, that's fine. I'm fine with, I mean, I've been duct taped to the wall, literally, okay? That doesn't matter to me. But once you get them there, you have to share the real gospel with them. You can't have sillinesses. I heard a youth sermon three months ago that compared Christianity to fly fishing. Fly fishing is so much better than regular fishing. It's fishing, just like regular fishing, but it's so much better. And since I'm a Christian, wow, this is like fly fishing. Pass out the pizza. That was the whole thing. That was the whole thing. You tell me who would bow your knee to Jesus knowing that you have offended a holy God. There is nothing that, that, you know, that Jesus is like fly fishing. I just, I absolutely gaped. I gaped. And I have been in legalist churches, the black Bible, bang your Bible churches. And I've had people preach the law to me and to a bunch of teenagers, preach the law, preach the law. And I remember thinking, I remember most of the time I would just read the hymn book. I would analyze the chords in the hymn book just to have something to do during the sermon. But I remember this one person preaching the law at me, preaching the law at me, and I thought, he's going to preach the gospel. I Like I put the, the hymnal down, and I, like I paid attention, I looked, and he was preaching the law, which I think is exactly what you should do. You should preach the law. And when you are completely convicted that you need a Savior, then you show them the Savior that's available. 
He never showed them the Savior. He preached the law for 40 minutes and then gave an altar call for anybody that had a guilty conscience. And I wanted to flip the pew in front of me. I was so angry that I couldn't stand it. To not preach the gospel, to have another gospel, do you have to realize that the straight and narrow is straight and it's narrow and there is, there is pits on both sides you can fall into the legalist where I do things and I do the right things and we do this thing and God's going to bless me because I do right things. That's just as damaging as I don't care anything about God and I want God because God is love and God will accept me for whatever I do and whatever I want. There's not really a difference. If you're going to fall into a pit, you could fall into a right pit or a left pit. It doesn't really matter. Any other gospel is another gospel. The gospel has to be really the gospel. And it, I mean, it's outrageous. This is a passage I pull out of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I've espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest if by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through its subtlety, that your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. For if he that comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, that you would bear with him. Like, you'll take anything in. You'll think it's all fine. People could, could give you rat poison, and as long as there's a teaspoon of corn in it, you'll eat it. That's what Paul is saying. He's worried about them. He's worried. I am preaching the gospel so that, you, so that you'll grow, so that you'll be alive, so that you'll want God, and you'll go to him all of your life. And, uh, but, but you just want any Jesus. Any old Jesus will do. And don't tell me there's Jesus is all over the place. All over the place. I have personally been told that the Bible is sexist, that the Bible is racist, that the Bible is homophobic, and that the Bible is irrelevant. That's absolutely the truth. People have told me all of those. Shocked that I would fall into some kind of a, an ancient practice, that I, know, that I have no sophistication at all, that I would fall into that trap of believing what they taught me in Sunday school. I, I've had that. I have heard people call Mormons Christians because they have the King James Bible on their television ads. I have had Muslims and Buddhists say, God bless you to me, as though God was going to bless me when a Buddhist asked God bless me. Because God is God, right? We all serve the same God. That is the idea of this age. That's the idea. We are not a Christian nation, and we are not even a post-Christian nation. A post-Christian nation remembers what it was like to be a Christian. I mentioned that in Sunday school today. There was a time in this town that you could witness for the Lord without having to tell all of the offenses. You don't need to present the scandal stone because people understood what God was. They, expect, they knew what God expected of them. So you could simply have a soft touch witness knowing that what they knew about the gospel was essentially smacking them and you weren't smacking them. You could be soft. But this is a post Post-post, this is a pagan nation. 
I've had two female students in the last two years tell me that they were witches. I've got two colleagues that teach at Webster County High School that believe in um, American Indian theology, like, like the, the super spirit or something like that. I, it's today, yes, no, yesterday I told Melissa that there was, I, w- I had the kids out at the end of class because it was so beautiful this week, just a few minutes at the end of class, and I was between two groups of students. One group was what you think of as the heathens, the obscene, the filthy, the ones that you know are just, not just hellbound, but going to prison first before hell, okay? These are the ones that you know where they're going. And they were talking over here, and everything they said just, like, ripped me, ripped me. Like, my muscles were being pulled off my bones. But what broke my heart was not what I thought to expect. I expected that from this group. But the other group was the sweethearts. These were the ones that were sweet and obedient and fun and kind. And what they were talking about in this society full of inclusiveness just made me, it just made me want to cry. It made me want to burst into tears because there wasn't a bit of difference. There wasn't a teaspoon of difference between the group that you knew was foul and the group that you thought was sweet. There wasn't any group. We're, we're gone. This, this country's gone in terms of, it's a pagan nation. So you do, not, you do not present the gospel in a way where it's just everything is light touch. Now let me tell you that we've had the coffee shop open to this community for, for 11 months. We opened in October, it's September. So for 11 months, almost every person has been a light touch. I've prayed with people. I've witnessed to people in very kind of soft ways. I've invited people to church. Most of the time, I'll invite people to Sunday school. I invite them to Sunday school. Somehow that is a little bit less threatening. So I invite them to Sunday school, and people just marvel. Sunday school? I said, oh, I love my Sunday school class. You need to come to my Sunday school class. And it's just like amazing to them. So most, I'm going to tell you, most of the time, my, my touches are soft or even nothing at all, okay? I've, I've sold coffee for a dollar to people that I just said hi to and have a nice day. But I've also got to preach the strong gospel four times, four times in 11 months. And when I share the gospel, I share that I personally offended a holy God. I knew it. I knew I wasn't safe. I knew I couldn't rest. I knew that the floor could pull out at any moment. I knew that I was hanging by a spider's web, and the only thing holding me up was empty air. I knew it, that God had pressed on me, and I understood what it meant to be convicted of sin. And I wanted out, and I couldn't get out. And I tried, and I tried to be good, and I tried to do right things, and I tried every moral thing, and it did not work. And when presented with a gospel that Jesus didn't just die for sinners, but he lived for me acceptably, and that if I put my faith in him, God counts his life instead of mine. I wanted it. I wanted it right now. 
Repentance is not a one-time thing. Repentance is not walking the sawdust aisle one time. Repentance is continually and constant. As I see my hands that are still dirty, I repent. I change. I don't do those same things. And when I do, my heart breaks and I pour my heart out to God and I turn again. Because, yes, the thine eye diffused a quickening ray and my chains fell off and the bars were open, but I stayed in that prison a long time before I left. When, when Lazarus was called out, he was still in his grave clothes. And I've lived in my grave clothes, and you've lived in your grave clothes. You've not lived as a holy man. You've not lived as a holy woman. You've lived basically with your thumb in God's eye. But when you know who you've served, when you know that, and it crushes you, it's an indicator that you're alive, that you're a Christian. You are a Christian if you want God. You're a Christian if your sins hurt you. But if you are offended by them and you're setting your heart against them, that is a confirmation that you are not anywhere close to God. And Jesus said, are you offended by this? And he wasn't speaking to the enemies who came to him. He wasn't speaking. He already told them that they didn't believe. He's telling his own followers, does this offend you? Does this offend you? That's what he's saying. I have lost most of my closest friends from high school and college by sharing the gospel with them. I have to say, it's going to cost you. If you really want to share, you'll be the one that stinks. I've shared the gospel fully with two colleagues at school and two male students over the last three years, fully. And when I sit down at the t t uh, table full of teachers, I'm the stink. I'm the stink. Are you willing to be that? Are you willing to be the stink? Are you willing to be the one that... <sighs> Is there anybody else I could sit with? Really, I mean, just truly, I just have to say that if you're going to be a disciple, then you can't be different than Jesus. But I tell you, neither do I pray that I'm like the nasty, mean old Christians on Facebook that yap at people and judge them and are mean and are abrasive. You weep for the people. You weep for the people. If your heart is broken to the people, you are not sturdy at all, but you are strong. You must repent of your sins. While it's today, while there's time, because God will, it is a stone that will either you will stumble upon or will grind you to powder. And so he says, first of all, that he came down from heaven. That's the first thing I see that they hate. I came down from heaven. He says it four times. 33, for the bread which he came down from heaven gives life to the world. And 38, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do for him that sent me. 51, I'm the living bread which came out of heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. 58, which he has just spoken. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, but he that eats of this bread 
should be forever. He's claiming not to be like God's provisions. Even though he had mercy and compassion upon this crowd and fed them out of his compassion because that's who God is. God doesn't stop being God. He cares about you. He cares about the very ones he knows will go to hell. He knows, but he cares. He's kind. The rain falls on the fields of the good and the, and the bad. There is no difference because God is God. God doesn't stop being God. But he just said, I came down, and they're not willing. And then he went further and said, and I personally need to be incorporated into you or you will have nothing to do with God. It has to do with me personally. can't be whatever little theology you want to embrace. It has to be me. Christ's theology is Christ-centric. And to whatever degree my theology is not Christ-centric, it's demonic. And I... And over my life, I will continuously hold my hands out, God. Take, take whatever's not there and throw it away. Take whatever's not yours. And I have no trouble at all with Christians who have different views of the Bible. Not at all. Because I don't believe that that's wickedness. That is not wickedness. That's conviction. To the conviction that I see that this is what I'm to do, I do. So, so that's the first thing. He's claiming to be from heaven, and that's, that's too much for some people. They can't handle that. And then he claims that, you have to, that I have to be part of you. Then he claims that he's going to go to the cross. This is from 51. I am that living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever, and that bread it, that I will give is my flesh. He doesn't use the word body. My body, which is a nice word, He uses the butcher shop word. The word flesh is what you think of when you go to the butcher shop. The butchered Messiah is disgusting to people. They want want somebody that's the captain of the football team. They want somebody who's going to win. They don't want the, the weak. They don't want the meek. They don't want the low. They don't want the lowly Jesus. They want the winner. But it's to us that Jesus has convinced that he's the winner. It's to his own who accept him as the low, accept him as the one that go outside the camp with him. He was, he was crucified outside the city gates. And the writer of the Hebrew said, that's where we go. We go outside the city gates with him, bearing his reproach with him, stinking like he stank. But yet to us who accept that, he then says, I will be glorious. You will see me in glory. You will see me like no one has saw me, and you will be on my team at that time. You, you accept me now when the world laughs and mocks, and I will, I will confess you before my Father. You don't confess me now. I will not confess you before my Father. It's, I understand, like people who work, I, I, the poor Jehovah's Witnesses, Oh my goodness, my, my, I just, there's such a pain there because I understand it. It makes sense to me that they know that God expects things. They know it and they know they're not right and that they need to do something and they need to do it right now. So they're willing to stink in their neighbor's eyes so that God will look at everyone and give them a point, something like working for their salvation. It makes sense. It, that's not stupid. That makes perfect sense to me. 
That makes perfect sense to me. Those poor people who think that from Revelation 7, there will only be 144,000 in in heaven. And they're like, well, I'm sure there's 144,000 there now. I have to work harder than the people that are at the bottom of that list. They're working so that they can kick somebody out that made less points than them. If you ever watch the Olympics, the first person to go down the mountain is in in the gold medals position. That meant that as long as I can get to the bottom, I would be in gold medal position for 10 seconds until the next person went. That's the idea. They, they have this understanding that they need to work. Well, that is offensive. The idea that the gospel, that Jesus lives, and you receive that, that's offensive to people. That's offensive. The handout people don't mind it so much, but the people who are proud about how hard they work, that's a big offense. That it's not about me trying. It's not about me being good. You're not judged on you being good. That's an offense. That's a stumbling stone to a lot of people. And the last put up I put is some people think that they can control all aspects of their lives. And this is why he said, that is why I told you that it's God who has to lead you to me. They, they think I have all control over everything that God, that God is fine with me doing. If I want this, I'll take it. If I want it, I... That's the problem. He said, you do not believe because he knew who did not believe and who was going to betray him. And then here's the next verse. What a verse. John 6, 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more. Do you not know that that's called repentance? They repented from their repentance. They repented. They went the other way, uh, having gone the other way towards Christ, they went the other way when they heard too much, when they realized that the demands were too much, that it's not a matter of just going to church or whatever that means to some people, or, or just God is love, God is love, and that's all that God requires, and we're all God's children. I've, I've heard all of that. But that when you must be holy in your life, that you must act like God and follow him, and that you must please him in your actions— People don't want that. People don't want that. I know some hypocrites that would want that. Judas is still wanting it. Judas is still sitting there. Judas the hypocrite is still sitting there. At least the other people were honest enough to leave. But Judas is like, I don't care anyway. doesn't bother me. I'll stay. I'll bide my time. He's biding his time. So my punch is that Christ's doctrine always corrects our discipleship. You must go to the Bible. You must read it and you must slam it, your head, against it until you're willing to say, what does this mean? Do I understand it? Now, the things that you can't understand, just keep going with a simple heart towards them and pray. God, help me understand. I am having trouble with this. I don't understand. And God is kind. He's not not God. He's kind. But those things you do understand, you're responsible this is now ours. He said, he said, for instance, uh, John 63, 663, it's the spirit that quickeneth. That means that's God's responsibility. But then he said, but the words I speak unto you, that's our responsibility. Do you see it? It's, it's both. It's not one or the other. It's both. I'm responsible to respond to God when he calls me. 
I'm responsible. And he says, I chose you 12 and one of you is a devil. I chose you. And one of you is a devil that, that inside you watched me, you watched me wash your feet and then you stood up to sell me for a day's pay? Really? That's all I'm worth to you. But see, then he asks his 12, he goes, you going to leave too? I mean, this is not a, there's no strings playing in the background of this. This is harsh and, and sour. And he said, are you going to leave too? And Peter says the most amazing, con, con, convicted uh, declaration of faith in the Bible. He said, Lord, where are we going to go? You're the one who has life. Do you understand? Jesus and Peter stepped back out from the water into the boat and the winds calmed down. He knows for a truth that thou art the very God. He can't unknow that. And if it's hard, it's hard. If it's hard, Lord, help my unbelief. I, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. If it's hard, if it's not what you like, if it's not, if you would rather have a different Jesus, it's the Jesus presented as your only hope. It's your only hope. It's not the Jesus I would rather him be. It's your only hope. He's our only hope. Do you hope in the Lord Jesus? Do you realize hope is the same as getting it? Christian hope is not I hope it happens. Christian hope is the same as it's happened. It just hasn't happened yet. <clears throat> I've been on TV with the big check. It's already happened. I just haven't gotten it in my bank account yet. It's the same thing because I've been on TV. Everybody saw me get it. It's the same as to look Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory you will see in the tabernacle when you know the end of the others. And the glory you will see when you would rather have Jesus than anything else, than land and silver and gold. So I just encourage you to trust your Savior with your whole hearts and in that enjoyment serve him with your feeble arms until we meet him amen <clears throat>